So that's coming right away. Uh, don't miss your opportunity to get signed up for that. This morning, I'm super excited. We're beginning a brand new series. Uh, we're going to be studying for the next several weeks the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And show me uh, a show of hands. How many of you are familiar with that Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes and everything in it? Okay, probably a good idea we're doing this, this then. Excellent. Very good. The book of Ecclesiastes uh, is uh, it's a very unusual book. It's kind of it's, uh, unique in its own way. We're actually going to call the series Under the Sun based on one of the phrases that we'll see in the text this morning. Uh, but uh, there was some controversy when, when the group of people were getting together to decide which books are in the Old Testament and which ones are not, which ones made the cut. Uh, Ecclesiastes was on the bubble. It like had to do one of the play-in games to get into the Old Testament canon and be included because there's a lot there that makes sense, but there's a lot there that if you don't understand what's going on, it's kind of like, I'm not sure how this is part of the Bible at all. It's a little confusing, and we're actually going to look at that uh, in part this morning. Uh, the basic premise of the book of Ecclesiastes is this. Uh, Solomon is the writer, and we remember King Solomon, right? He was King David's son, he was immensely successful. He kind of took Israel from being kind of a, a second-rate kingdom into a, a world powerhouse in the day. Uh, was said to have been uh, the wisest man that ever lived. He became fabulously wealthy, had all kinds of life experience. And Solomon, towards the end of his life, is looking back over everything that's gone before and asking himself questions about what's the meaning of that? Like, really, what's the ultimate overall value and significance of all this life experience that I uh, have had? And he's looking around, and it's interesting. Uh, it seems like he doesn't find a lot. The, the format of the book goes like this. There's a quick introduction that we're going to look at today. And then during the middle section, Solomon does almost like a systematic survey of all the various kinds of life experience that we would typically look at to find value and meaning and purpose. And he evaluates them and said, do I find meaning and purpose here? Do I find value and significance there? And one by one, he checks them off the list and, uh, and he doesn't have a great experience with them. And then it comes to the conclusion, we'll get to the conclusion at the very end, but he draws some conclusions based on his survey of human experience that are really significant, really significant. The, the features of this book are why it becomes so interesting. One, it's one of those books in the Bible it hardly talks about God directly at all. You, know, you read a lot of the Old Testament, and God is everywhere. He's creating things. He's directing people to do things. He's uh, helping armies be successful. God's all in the middle of it. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's not that way. Uh, it's, it's more Solomon's observations than God's words and directions that way. And as a result of that, it's really accessible. When you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'm challenging you to do that, you'll find, yes, I understand what he's saying. I've had those thoughts. I've asked those questions about life. Life has felt that way to me, too. And so it becomes, it's, it's very easy to connect to. He asks the kinds of questions of life's experience that most of us ask at some point along the way. But then it's also, the downside of it is, it can be kind of cynical. It can be a little bit depressing. I mean, you can only read so much of, Hey, you won't find meaning here. Hey, you won't find meaning there. Hey, you won't find meaning in this other place. Eventually, you get a little down on that, right? And it becomes a little, uh, it becomes a little problematic that way. Still, for all of that, it's something that's highly connected. It's, uh, your heart will resonate with this book. And that's one of the reasons I'm excited uh, 
about this series is this is a great series to invite friends and neighbors to because it addresses the kinds of life, life issues and life questions that we're all living and that we're all asking. Last, uh, last weekend at Easter, some 2,000 people came through this building celebrating the resurrection, and I think that is fantastic. Yes, you may clap, because that's what we're clapping for. And a lot of them were here because we invited them, but let's keep inviting because there's more, right? We're not satisfied with just attendance on a Sunday. We're not satisfied with attendance on any Sunday. We're satisfied with people coming to know Jesus and growing in that, and so we want to Keep inviting people back for those purposes, and that's your job. So with that in view, let's take a look at the opening 11 verses today of Ecclesiastes. And I think you'll get the general feel of Solomon's kind of mindset and his heart set with just the very first couple of verses here. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Be encouraged, be blessed, have a great Sunday. <laughs> Hope you feel better about yourself and your life, right? Man, what is that about? That is serious. How, I mean, it's frustrating to come to the Bible looking for encouragement and joy and strength to keep going and to be told it's meaningless. And yet there's something about that, right, that resonates with our experiences at various points along the way. We've all hit that spot, haven't we, where we just feel like I am at the end of my rope. I can't see any purpose, meaning, value, or significance to what I'm doing. I am just, I'm underneath it all. And, uh, you know, I was, I was reading this this week and thinking about that season of time when we had uh, a two-year-old toddler and a brand-new infant, okay? And, uh, and my wife, in that season of her life, uh, you know, I would come home from work and say, hey, honey, how was your day and what did you accomplish today? And I realized quickly, that's a bad question <laughs> to ask a woman who spent the day with a toddler and an infant who's been feeding and bottling and, and cleaning up puke and diapers and all kinds of stuff. And there was like this season where she just felt like, if this is my life, I don't get it. There's got to be more than this. What I'm doing right now feels like it maybe doesn't have the value I would like it to have. And that's as true if you're taking care of uh, toddlers and infants at the beginning of the life cycle, if you're caring for aging parents at the end of their life cycle and everywhere in between, we hit those spots where it's just difficult and it feels meaningless. Solomon is resonating with that moment right there. Kind of the next step of this passage goes from that into his observation that what exists here is, seems to be this ongoing cycle of meaninglessness. That as we look out there and we of survey the landscape of what's out there it's just the same stuff going over and over again that starts in verse three of this particular passage he says what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever the sun rises and the sun sets and then it hurries back to where it rises the wind blows to the south and then it turns around to the north Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, that's where they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill 
of hearing. Isn't he just a ray of sunshine? <laughs> oh my goodness, what is going on there? It's difficult. It's tough. This sense that as he surveys what's going on, where's the value? Where's the purpose? Where's the joy in all that? It's, um, it's troubling until we get to this next passage, this kind of final closing piece of his introduction. Because it's in the words that are coming next that we begin to, undersee, uh, begin to understand and to see what's going on here in Solomon's thinking. Let's take a look at those. He says, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. Here's the phrase, there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Again, not the most encouraging until you look very closely at that phrase that says that there's nothing new under the sun. And you realize that what Solomon is doing and will do over the course of the next several chapters, and for us the course of the next several weeks, is he's taking a look systematically at everything that happens under the sun. Everything that happens here in our day-to-day -day life existence here in the created order. And he limits his exploration to the exploration of human experience from a merely human perspective. He's asking the kinds of questions that people have to ask if they assume that all that exists is this stuff of the created order under the sun. Solomon is going to take a very human perspective. And he's going to say from human eyes only, where do I find value? Where do I find meaning? Where do I find significance? And when he limits it to the human, it's going to be a very disappointing result for him and for us. Because he's looking passionately for something that will not be found where he's looking for it, under the sun. He's limited his search to there, and he's not looking to the things beyond the sun or to the one who created the sun. Now, for Christmas this last year, my in-laws got me this really cool bag. I've been given grief for it being a purse, but like I wear it like this. I feel like Jack Bauer from 24, and that's about <laughs> as good as you can feel, really. And, and this is what I use to carry my computer around back and forth to work. If I've got important papers that I don't want to lose, they go in this uh, bag with me. And this is really important for me. And so a few weeks ago, we're in the tax season, right? There was a, a specifically very important document that I needed to get all of that taken care of. It was supremely important. And I knew where it was, no problem. It's in my bag, because that's where those things go. So when it came time to get that, I took the bag off my shoulder and I opened it up. And while there was a lot of stuff there, guess what wasn't there? The document that I needed. So I did what any right-thinking human would be. I started taking things out one at a time. I took out pens. I took out sticky notes. I took out used pieces of gum. I took out <laughs> just anything I found in there. And you know what? It still wasn't there. I turned it upside down. I shook it. Nothing came out. It's empty. And so I did what any right-thinking human being would do. I went back and I looked at the bag again because surely it must be here. 
And then I thought, okay, no, I'll go, I'll check my office at the house. And I checked the office and it wasn't there. So came back and looked through the bag again. <laughs> then I went to my bedroom and then back to the bag, back to the bag. I kept looking. There was actually a point at which I thought, if I undo the stitching, <laughs> I could find a compartment that I didn't even know was there and I'll probably find the document. But that search was doomed to failure because I was stuck looking for the document where I thought it would be. Eventually I did the only thing left. I blamed my teenage kids, I blamed my wife, I blamed the dog, and eventually I found it exactly where I had left it two weeks prior. <laughs> that document was never gonna be found in the bag. Under the sun, that document was never going to be found. And under our sun, all those things that Solomon is looking for will never, ever be found. So when you hear his despair and when you resonate with his sense of frustration and when you are painfully aware that his inability to find meaning feels a lot like your very own inability to find meaning and purpose sometimes. Understand that you, right along with Solomon, may simply be looking at a place that although it feels like it should be there and you know it should be there, it's never going to be found there. And so in this series, one of the things that we're not going to do is just to look at the various things that Solomon investigates. Like he looks at wealth as one possible way to find significance. He looks at um, work and toil and accomplishment and pleasure, all as contenders for meaning and value and significance. And he comes to the conclusion that under the sun, in this world, if the human perspective is all there is, there's not a lot of meaning and value to be found there. But we're not just gonna hammer that point home we're gonna acknowledge that he's right from the human perspective, but within the greater and broader parameters of all of scripture, God has some things to say about where those things fit into our experience as well. So I don't, your experience right now might be this. You're, you might be in a great time of life where life is good and it's wonderful and it's enjoyable. And it's funny, we never ask questions about meaning and significance about those, right? So we're okay there. But then when life gets hard, when there's difficulty, hardship, afflictions, we go, where's the meaning? What, what's this all about? How, how do I understand the value and purpose of this when it's just so hard? Well, fortunately, we have scripture to fall back on. And we learned that although that's the way it feels under the sun, that there's a broader view, a more eternal view that says there's more going on beyond the sun and in the hands of the one who created the sun. We're reminded in Isaiah chapter 55 that God's got a an entirely different perspective on what's going on in our life that way. He writes, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's Isaiah reminding us that there's more going on than just what we encounter down here under the sun, but that God's got a higher view and a higher understanding and a higher purpose than any of that. So that when it does come to areas of trial and difficulty and pain and we, and we just can't make sense of them, we have another place to look behind other than just looking within the limited bag of life here underneath the sun. When Paul was writing to the Romans, he talked to them about the nature of uh, the afflictions that they bore and the difficulties that they were uh, encountering in their day in, day out existence. And he wrote, I consider that our present sufferings, the ones we're going through right now, 
are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The things that we're suffering right now, our present sufferings, the weight, the impact, the power of them aren't even worth comparing to the glory that they're going to produce once we're not stuck under the sun. Once God's purposes are fulfilled. So that means that even though they're painful and real and they're incredibly burdensome, there's something greater, there's something more powerful, there's something uh, deeper going on that God wants to produce, even in the, through the vehicle of those particular sufferings. So what do we do in the meantime? Like, where's, how do we live in that tension? Because I live under the sun, and the pain is real under the sun, and it's hard under the sun. How do I encounter any of that that's promised beyond the sun? And the answer comes down to a simple phrase that shows up in a number of passages we'll look at, and it's about fixing our eyes in the right place. It's about turning our attention from where it naturally goes to where it can be, to fixing our eyes in a direction and on, on objects which steer us closer to God's purpose rather than further apart from them in that particular way. One of the places we see that uh, is in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 4. Um, he, he's talking to them uh, about the way that this works. And here's what he says there. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, so as a result, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Here we are, stuck under the sun with all that that means and all of life's experiences. And Paul says, but one of the things that we can do is we can fix our eyes not on what's temporary, not on what's under the sun. We can choose to direct our gaze beyond the immediate onto the eternal and say, God is going to do some great things here. There's a promise ahead, and the weight of those promises ahead is far above and far beyond and far more than anything we're enduring right now. So we fix our eyes on what's eternal, but that's not the only place that we fix our eyes. It's not the only place that we do that. When he's writing to uh, the Philippians, Paul talks about uh, making sure that we keep our eyes focused on the right place as well. Here's what he says. He says, look, not that I've already obtained all of this or have arrived already at my goal, but I do press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Simply said, that's about fixing the eyes on the prize and saying that as a follower of Jesus, there is a heavenward call. There's an ultimate promise of redemption and salvation that takes us beyond life under the sun and into life beyond the sun in eternity. And Paul encourages the Philippians, do what I do. Fix your gaze on that prize and on that goal. Allow your attention to be captured of what God will accomplish not just the difficulty of the training that leads up to that. So we, we fix our eyes on the goal. We fix our eyes on that which is eternal. But ultimately and finally, 
It's about fixing our eyes on Jesus, on never losing sight of our Savior. And in doing that, we actually follow his example of looking ahead towards the salvation God was accomplishing through him. The writer of the book of the Hebrews has this to say with regard to that. It says, let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider, the writer says, what Jesus did, who had to endure here under the sun all the pain of suffering and death at the hands of the cross. And the way that he managed to endure that was to look ahead towards what that was accomplishing. He understood that there was a purpose for his suffering. It was the salvation of you and me and all generations of believers. He understood that and he looked forward to that and kept his eyes fixed on that and that's how he was able to endure the process. Follow that example, he says. In the same way, fix your gaze on Jesus Christ himself so that whatever it is that you're enduring and living through here under the sun, you can endure that knowing that the Jesus whom you follow is a, Je is a Jesus who has triumphed over death and has triumphed over the cross. He's triumphed over the grave and who dwells in eternity where we will join him. Solomon, in the course of the next several chapters, and we, over the course of the next few weeks, are going to look at a lot of the places which we most naturally turn to find value and significance and meaning. One by one, he's going to find them inadequate. And he's going to develop within us this powerful sense that if that's all there is, life will be terribly meaningless, depressing, and empty. Utterly meaningless is the phrase to which he will return again and again. But we have the promise of something higher, something more full and more real, a promise of something not under the sun, but beyond the sun, and, and prepared for us by the very one who created that sun in the first place. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are eager to continue growing in you and knowing you better. God, it's our heart's desire to be able to integrate our every experience of everyday life with the promises of your word, and with the work that your Holy Spirit is doing within us. So, Lord, I want to pray for us. In the coming weeks, um, would you capture our imagination with what you're saying in your word? God, would you help us to understand and interpret the events of our lives here under the sun in ways that acknowledge that there's something more going on beyond that sun? And, God, we ask that you would continue to speak to us deeply and powerfully and intimately in ways that make a difference in our life every day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Well, we thank you so much for finding North Church Sermons Online, and we hope that the message today brought value and enrichment to your life. If you'd like to participate in the giving of this ministry, there's a couple of easy ways for you to do that. You can text the word NORTH to 77977 and receive a text back and get your online giving set up in under 60 seconds. Or else you can visit us online at northchurch.net and click on Give Online and participating in the things that God's doing right here at North Church. We thank you so much for joining us. God bless.